Okay, hi Neon. Today's reading is taken from Mark chapter 3, 13 to 21 and 31 to 35. And he went up on to the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he has named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Borges, that is, son of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, son of Alphaeus and Therodeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home and he, the crowd gathered him again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to Sison, and they were saying, he is out of his mind. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And, the crowd, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And he looking about at those who sat around him, and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and his sister and my and mother. This answer. Thank you, George. Um, this morning we have a guest with us. Um, if you've been looking at uh, the faces here, we have a, a new face, but it's not really a new face because he's been here before. I just want to um, introduce all of you to Pastor Evangel Tam, um, who's visiting us or joining us today on, on the Zoom call. Um, and as you may also have noticed, Pastor Eric is not with us uh, this week. Um, pastor Evangel is a pastor, um, is the pastor at Emmanuel English Church in Tokwawan, uh, and he's a good friend of Pastor Eric's. And today, what we're doing with um, Emmanuel English Church is we're having a pulpit swap. So Pastor Evangel is visiting us today and he'll be uh, preaching. And likewise, Pastor Eric is at Emmanuel English Church today and preaching there. Um, so we're, we're really excited to, to have you here, uh, Pastor Evangel. And uh, we're really excited to, to listen to God's uh, word from you this morning. Uh, before um, I hand over the mic to you, I'm just going to uh, pray for you and, and, and pray for your church really quickly. Um, let's pray. Lord, um, thanks for, for, for networks of friends, networks of, of um, your servants, Lord. We're, we're, um, we're thankful for the way you um, work in different churches around Hong Kong. Um, and so we want to pray uh, now for Emmanuel English Church in Tokwawan, Lord, I pray uh, for their congregation and, and the challenges that they are facing, Lord, uh, in, in these difficult times. Uh, Father, I pray for the hearts of everyone there, Lord, that they would be changed and transformed daily, Lord, by you. Lord, that they would discover you um, um, and what it means to walk closer with you. God, I pray for um, Pastor Evangel as he continues to shepherd that church, Lord, that you would continue to use him, Lord, 
um, for your will to be done there. And as we invite him, Lord, today um, to preach here, Lord, I pray that um, your word would be spoken through him. Amen. Uh, and just before I hand the mic one more time, I'm just going to share um, with everyone a, a file. Uh, I think Pastor Evangel wanted us to share uh, today's sermon notes with you. So I'm just sending it out now. Uh, they're in PDF format. Uh, there they are. And without further ado, um, Evangel, I'll just uh, hand it over to you. Great. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's really great to be back with you. Uh, thankful to have been able to meet some of you in person. I think back, it was back in July, uh, but it, see, it seems a little longer than that, actually. Uh, yeah, so, so as Les was saying, uh, Pastor Aaron and I, we, we regularly meet together uh, to pray for one another, pray for our churches, and to help each other grow as, as pastors and, and brothers in Christ. So he's been keeping me updated on what's been going on with you guys. I'm encouraged and I'm excited for all that God's doing. Um, yeah, so uh, if you don't already, I encourage you to have the Bible in front of you in some way. Uh, we actually read uh, Mark, uh, but I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 12. Uh, don't worry, it's not a, a completely different passage. It's actually the same passage, but it's just found in, in Matthew instead of Mark. And sometimes, a lot of times, actually looking at different aspects of the same story in a different gospel gives us more perspective. So uh, just have Matthew 12 verses 46 to 50 in front of you, and I'll be taking us through uh, the passage uh, very soon. Um, uh, you may be wondering how come we're in Matthew when for the past couple of weeks, uh, Pastor Eric and uh, even Pastor Chris, uh, they were in the book of Genesis, I believe. Uh, well, there's a, there's a method behind the madness. Uh, this week is actually the start of the one Lent Bible readings. So many churches across Hong Kong are doing this together, and this includes the Bridge Church, uh, and it's, it's an exciting way to show that we're unified in God's word. Uh, if you forgot about that, uh, not to worry. Uh, I, I think you guys have been encouraging one another already. Uh, it's never too late to start reading God's word. Uh, there's always grace in that. So today's message is a passage from one of the Lent readings. Um, all right. So with all that being said, uh, I want to start today's message by, by sharing a little bit more about myself. Uh, I don't think I actually had the chance to, to do that the last time I was here. And, and I want to share about one important person in, in my life. Uh, and I think the first important person is God, and, and the second is my wife, Evelyn. Uh, but I'm not talking about my wife. I'm, I'm talking about somebody else who's important. Uh, so I met this person about 10 years ago through a friend in my small group. And, and as we got to know each other, we realized that we both shared a common love for God, you know, a passion to earnestly pray for students and, and to reach out to them. So that's how our relationship began. We would get together regularly to pray and worship and invite others to join us. We would work together to reach out to students and, and, and to pray with them. Uh, this person lived close to campus, so we would use their place to host students together. Uh, we would meet together to pray for students who were struggling and we became quite close in our relationship when my grandma passed away uh, this person was one of the few who stayed behind for the whole burial when i was going through hard times this person would uh, encourage and, and pray with me and, and we still stay in touch i'm originally from uh, toronto in canada uh, but even though i'm in hong kong and my friends still in uh, in toronto we still stay in touch here 
Uh, this person is one of my greatest supporters. They listen to my sermons online and, and, and ask me when they're not uploaded. So I just wanted to, to imagine, uh, I shared about this important person in my life, uh, you know, based on what I've told you, based on maybe looking at my face, uh, maybe some of the initial impressions I've given, I've given to you already. I want you to picture what this person might be like. Now, let me add a couple of descriptors to, to help your, your mental picture. All right, so, so first this person is not, is not uh, Chinese. They don't look Chinese. Uh, they're actually from an Indian background. A second, this person is, is not close to my age at all. Uh, they're actually over the age of 50. And this person is the mother of three adult kids and her kids are all around my age. And her name is, is Mona. And if I was to describe our relationship, you know, one thing I would say is that we're, we're good friends uh, in fact, in some ways, I'm probably better friends with Mona than her children, even though I was friends with them first. Uh, but simply saying we're good friends doesn't seem to be enough to describe the relationship that we have. The best way to describe our relationship would be family. So the main point for this morning is this. Disciples of Jesus make their truest family believers who faithfully obey God. Disciples of Jesus make their truest family believers who faithfully obey God. In our passage this morning, Jesus teaches his disciples how they should relate to each other by setting the example of how he relates to them. And the answer is, is family. But what Jesus says and what he does is shocking and offensive for everyone who's present. For, for his disciples, those in the crowd interested in Jesus, and most of all for his own family who came to see him. So let's take some time uh, to understand what the Bible is saying in, in more detail and think about what that means for us as disciples of Jesus. Uh, so first, I want us to, to picture the scene, all right? Pretend this is a movie. Uh, so look at verses four, 46 to 47. Jesus is teaching his disciples inside a house. And he's so popular that a large crowd has formed on the outside of the house so that it becomes impossible for anyone to get in. And it's here that Jesus' family comes to see him. In Mark 3.20, which we just read, you know, we're told that they came because they're actually worried for Jesus' well-being. He doesn't have enough time to eat. So Jesus' family is, is stuck outside the house. that They want to see Jesus. Uh, so while Jesus is in the middle of his sermon, he gets interrupted with this demand from his family. You know, they, they, they can't wait. It's urgent. You know, they, they made sure their message got through to Jesus. And this is a very this is a very public event. The disciples around Jesus are waiting to see how he'll respond. And the crowd is looking in from the windows and the doors, and they're wondering what is Jesus going to do? What is he going to say to his family? And what Jesus says is totally unexpected for everyone. Instead of responding to his family's request, he, he questions who his family is. Instead of saying hey, please tell my family, I'll, I'll be right with them. Give me 10 minutes to finish up my sermon. Jesus asks, you know, who is my mother? You know, who are my brothers? 
Jesus then points to the disciples inside the house and says, it's these disciples who are already with me. These disciples are my family. They're my brother. They're my sister and mother. So let's pause our, our mental movie scene. Let's think about, you know, what would be the reactions from the different groups of people present watching and hearing Jesus? Let's start about let's start with Jesus' family. They've just come a long way to see Jesus out of concern for him, but he treats them quite horribly. You know, Jesus is the eldest son. He has a responsibility to make family his priority, but he puts the needs of his disciples ahead of them. You know, Jesus' words would have made them feel offended, perhaps unvalued, unloved. You know, here they are trying to fulfill their family duty towards Jesus, but he doesn't reciprocate. Now let's think about the crowd around the house, inside the house. They're observing this scene and they would have been very surprised. They're, they're thinking, isn't Jesus supposed to be a righteous moral teacher? How come he isn't treating his family well? It looks like Jesus cares more about his disciples than his family. But what was even more shocking for everyone is what Jesus did next in verses 49 to 50. Jesus identifies his disciples as his family. And Jesus' disciples were a very odd group of people. You know, they consisted of fishermen, tax collectors, Jewish nationalists, homeless beggars, devout Jews. Uh, Luke 8 tells us women from various levels of society followed Jesus. You know, Joanna was the wife of a powerful politician. Mary was formerly demon-possessed. Chusa handled the affairs of King Herod. Uh, you know, if you were to translate this into Hong Kong terms, just picture a taxi driver, a rich government official, a policeman, a frontline protester, a, Fili a Filipina domestic worker, a Carrie Lam's personal assistant, and a street hawker who lives in a, in a cage home. They're all sitting in the same house as Jesus. He points to them and publicly declares to everyone, this is my family. This is my mother, my brother, my sister. If you were there, you would be shocked and confused. You would be thinking, how can this random group of people possibly be family? How could Jesus leave his real family for such outsiders? Now, what's wrong with Jesus? What is Jesus thinking? You know, imagine the reaction of Jesus' blood family looking from the outside. They're thinking, Jesus, are, are, are you replacing us? That doesn't seem right. I also want us to think about the disciples sitting with Jesus in the house. You know, at this moment, they probably have two contradiction rea contradicting reactions and feelings. I mean, the first is very positive. You know, they're thinking, wow, Jesus considers me as his family. That's such an honor, such a privilege. I'm just a beggar. I'm not worthy to be called his brother. But the second reaction would be a bit more concerning. You know, after feeling thankful and, and, and uh, honored, the thought right after would be, well, if I'm part of Jesus' family because I'm a disciple, then who are his disciples to me? 
You know, think about Matthew, he's a pro-government tax collector. He looks across the room, he sees Simon, the zealot, who's an extreme separatist. Think about Joanna, she's a refined member of high society, looking across to Peter, who's a grassroots fisherman. You know, picture their faces as they realize, wait, if I'm part of Jesus' family, doesn't that mean I have to make other disciples my family as well? You know, I don't want to be family with this person and that person. You know, we're, we're completely different. I just want to be close to Jesus. Now, now lastly, I want us to think about, you know, how, how is Jesus feeling right now? How is Jesus seeing things? You know, he, Jesus is the only one. He's not shocked. He's not surprised. You know, the pressure and expectation from his physical family and, and culture doesn't move him because Jesus lived by a completely different value system. He was operating according to God's values, and that came from faith and obedience. Everyone else was shocked because they didn't share this same value system. In their understanding, there were some big problems. They were thinking family has a right to each other's love, devotion, and attention above everyone else's. Members of the same family have an obligation to prioritize and respond to each other's well-being. So Jesus' mother and brothers comes to him while he's teaching. They try to use their family rights to stop Jesus from doing what he's doing. But Jesus doesn't respond to this value system. He's really aware of how shocking this is. But Jesus uses this moment to teach and demonstrate the type of change that happens in people's relationship to others when they become his disciples. He answers the problem in everyone's mind. And this is, this is the answer. No, your understanding of how to treat family is correct, but your understanding of how to determine family is flawed. Family isn't determined by your relationship to your earthly father. It's determined by your relationship with your heavenly father. And someone's relationship with God as father is demonstrated if they do God's will if they listen and obey his words. And so Jesus goes on to do and reinforce just what he says in the next chapter of Matthew, in chapter 13, even in the, in the next chapter of Mark. No, because there are so many people, Jesus leaves the house he's in, he continues to teach his disciples on the sea, and the first thing that Jesus teaches is the parable of the sower, which is all about listening and obeying God's word. So disciples of Jesus make their truest family believers who faithfully obey God. Just to be clear, Jesus is not disowning his physical, his physical family. He doesn't say anything negative about them in this passage. He doesn't say no need to care for your physical family. But what Jesus does is redefine what makes someone family and how that changes his disciples' priority for who they devote their time and attention to in that way. The family of believers comes first. They are to be your truest family. So I want you guys to, to start to think, you know, how do you see your fellow Christians this morning? When you think of the believers who worship together with you, does the word family come to mind? If you were to describe your relationship with other believers at the Bridge Church, would the word family fit? 
when we think of a church being a family, it's generally very positive that you know, that's good. We, we would agree that's what we should be. But where it gets challenging is when we think about what that really means. You know, we are family. It is a nice thing to say, but it's a difficult thing to practice. So we're going to take some time to consider what it means to live as a family of faith, why it's important, and, and how we can start to do that more and more as disciples. So the first point for this morning is this, Jesus sets the standard for family. Jesus sets the standard for family. What family looks like and who it includes looks different, including uh, depending on the culture that you come from. Uh, so some people's idea of family is just like the nuclear family. Some have a very big family, includes many different types of relatives. Uh, but generally, no matter what culture you come from, uh, family means that you are committed, that it's permanent, that there's sacrifice, there's trust, there's love. But our standard of what these qualities should look like shouldn't come from our culture, but from Jesus. In our passage, Jesus identifies his family as disciples who do God's will. For the rest of his life on earth, Jesus sets the example for what it looks like to be family. We see Jesus' patience toward his disciples' unbelief, his forgiveness when they wrong him. Jesus committed all of himself to his family. He held nothing back. He never gave up or abandoned his disciples, even when they abandoned him. Now John 13, 1 tells us, Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And ultimately, we see Jesus' life of selfless sacrifice displayed by dying on the cross for sin. And before that, this is what he said to his disciples in, in John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. The disciples' love for each other as family is to reflect Jesus' love for them. Jesus' love held nothing back. He sacrificed everything. It was completely committed. He never abandoned or gave up on them. It was selflessly focused on doing God's will. Jesus sets the standard for family love. And this is actually really important because all other standards of family in different ways are, are flawed. And when we use these different standards to measure how to live as family, then we fall short of what Jesus calls us to do. So let me give you two examples. In our postmodern culture, family means very little in both thought and in practice. Um, so if all of us treated our family in the way that, you know, generally our world is treating family more and more Then you know, when we think about church, we don't really think about a need to actually love and to commit to one another. It would mean very little to us, but that's not what Jesus means. Now, on the other hand, there are cultures where family is still very valued, right? Cultures like here in Hong Kong, um, different parts of Southeast Asia and, and Asia, um, but they also fall short um, because the love that they have is not conditioned on God as Father. Jesus' love and sacrifice in the gospel is our standard for family. That's what we should look to. And we need to be careful of the ways where we take our culture standard for family rather than Jesus. All right, so, so the standard is very high. And some of you are probably thinking, 
I have enough problem trying to be loving to my own family. <laughs> what, what hope do I have treating the family of disciples well if I'm struggling to love my kids or my parents or my grandma or my aunt, my uncle? And this brings us to the next point. Faith forms family. Faith forms family. You know, faith in Jesus makes impossible ways of relating possible. You know, in our passage, Jesus is not simply teaching about a change in approach to relationships with other believers. That's part of it. He's not even teaching about a change of mind or of perspective. Jesus is getting at the heart. No, a believer's faith in Jesus has transformed their heart and changed their identity. God is now their father, and now those with God as father is also family. The result is that they're going to naturally form those family relationships. Jesus' treatment of his disciples as family came from him knowing at the core of his person that God was his father. His relationship with them as family developed as they grew to obey God's will as well. I, I want you guys to look at verses 49 to 50 again. <clears throat> no, disciples are those who have faith in Jesus as Lord. The result is that Jesus makes them his family. This relationship change with Jesus also means a relationship change with God to be father. The result is that our relationship with one another also becomes family. And when there is faith in Jesus, family is the natural result. And, and two important things happen that you need to keep in mind. First, it becomes possible to relate to one another as family. Now, faith has already established this capacity for relationship. L let, me, let me put it this way. My cousin was married to his wife for about a whole year before I actually had a chance to meet her. But as soon as I was introduced, it was in the capacity of a family. So I didn't even know her name. <laughs> We're at this big family gathering, but because of her relationship to my cousin, it immediately changed the way that I related to her. I could talk to her in ways that I wouldn't be able to if she was just a stranger on the street. I could ask her things that wouldn't be appropriate if I was meeting a person for the first time. No faith has changed our relationship with God and Jesus to be family, and now it's possible to live with one another as family. But secondly, this is also important, faith doesn't just give us the ability to be family. If we have faith in Jesus, it causes us to pursue the family of believers. We naturally want to grow deeper in our relationships. We naturally want to be family with those who are our faith family. See, when I reflect on my relationship with Mona, yeah, there was some intentionality behind to build the relationships, but for the most part, it was actually quite natural. It happened as we talked and we prayed and served together. It grew as we sought to do God's will together. And before we knew it, it was just clear that we were family in a way that was different, but just as real as with our natural family. In fact, we got to know one another's family. We would work together as a family of faith to reach out to our family members that were not believers. Uh, she had a son around the same age as me who was not a believer. So I would try to get to know him when he visited. She would do the same. She would reach out to my siblings who were not Christians yet. 
And you know, there were more than a couple of times when I was in some of their family gatherings and they were arguing. And you know what? I think if I didn't know them, I would have felt really strange and awkward. But because we had this family of faith relationship, it, it didn't really feel that strange or awkward. You know, afterwards, we, we would pray and worship together for, for what just happened. So faith forms family. It opens up this possibility to be family. And as your faith grows, the natural result is that your relationship will grow to be family in deeper and deeper ways. The final point for this morning is this, family tests faith. So your ability to live as family with other believers is a reflection of your ability to relate to God as father. Your, your relationship with Jesus is reflected in how you relate to fellow disciples as family. When we really accept that we're part of Jesus' family, we naturally treat his disciples as family. And if that's not happening, then something is lacking in your faith. You know, sometimes you hear the question, how's your relationship with God? And when you hear that question, you know, you're not quite sure how to answer it. You know, it seems quite subjective. You know, how can you measure a relationship? especially with God, he's invisible. <clears throat> you, you might think, you know, I'm reading my Bible. Uh, I've been pretty consistent attending Sunday worship. And, and those are very important aspects of faith for sure. But a better way to evaluate our relationship with God is to ask, how have I been doing at relating to my brothers and sisters as family? Because this includes more than just showing up to gatherings. It gets at your whole attitude and heart behind your relationship with believers. And that's where the test of faith comes in. Family tests faith. Family tests faith in, in, in another way as well. And most of us here probably don't find the truth that we need to live as family too hard to accept. But what many of us are gonna struggle with and still struggle with both practically and conceptually is what this means for how we relate to our natural family. Because Jesus' teaching to his disciples isn't that you treat believers equal to your natural family. It's that you treat disciples as more important than your natural family. Now, let me qualify this by saying Jesus did teach that it's important to care for your natural family, and that's what he did. You know, as he's dying on the cross, Jesus made sure his mother was taken care of. Um, but with that, Jesus also taught, you know, in Matthew 10, 37, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Luke 14, 26 says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own mother and father and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, to a man who wanted to care for his aging father before being a disciple, Jesus said, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus isn't contradicting himself. He is teaching that his disciples make their truest family other believers. That means they're going to give priority to them over their natural family. That means there are times when they will not be able to care for their family in the way that's expected of them because of their greater obligation to God's family. It means, for example, if your husband, your wife, your children, or parents consistently don't want you to, to attend worship and be with the family of faith, 
you decide to go anyways because you have a greater family obligation to worship and love your church family. And this really goes back to the question of faith. Who you consider as your true family reveals where your faith is at. The family you prioritize is a family that you consider your true family. Through faith, disciples have made the truest family other believers. Who do you consider to be your truest family this morning? If you are not living with the family of faith as a priority, then you need to bring this to God in prayer and to really reflect. Where, where do you feel like you most belong? Now, for those of us who are struggling with this question of, of family and, and faith, you know, perhaps your family aren't believers and it's difficult for you to handle the expectations they have on you while trying to be a faithful Christian. Perhaps you find yourself in a situation where it's difficult to keep your focus on the family of faith. Jesus also has this to say to us in Luke 18, 29. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And the cost of following Jesus is great, but we're not losing so much as we are gaining. You know, one of the promises of Jesus is that the family we gain by following him will be more than enough to make up for the family we may lose by following him. Let me share a personal testimony to, to end us off. Uh, so I just had a baby boy six months ago. Uh, super exciting for Evelyn and I. His name is Emery. Uh, he's starting to crawl now and that's really exciting for us. Uh, but what was really difficult for, for us and, and our, our uh, nuclear family was that they couldn't fly over to Hong Kong because they don't have Hong Kong IDs. And and it was our first, it's the first grandchild, the first grandchild in the family. And it was really, it was really like uh, difficult for them. And I think Evelyn and I, we thought about it a couple of times, you know, what we could, we could just fly over and we, we could just quarantine in Canada for a couple of months or a couple of weeks. Um, but then we were thinking about it, you know, but that would mean that we would just have to leave our church family. The church family wouldn't have us serving them for, for a quite a big period of time. And, and it didn't, seemed quite right leaving our family of faith uh, so that our, our parents could see Emery. Um, so that, that was really difficult. But in the midst of that, we were so blessed because, because we didn't have our, our parents helping us with a kid. Suddenly we had like everyone from the church coming to vi visit us like almost every day. And those people that we weren't as close with because you know the opportunity to come up, we had the chance to really relate to them as family. And we were just so, uh, blessed to know that you know Emory has so many more uncles and and aunties and and grandparents in the faith um and when i reflect on that season yeah it, it was difficult but the blessing that came out of it was such a greater joy and that's the encouragement i want to leave you guys off with this morning you know being a family of faith is hard um you know, it means being intentional it means commitment it means that you know what you can't say to your family i don't like your parents i want to change parents or i want to change kids it means that you're saying to one another, uh, we're not perfect, but we can't change our church family that easily as well. Um, that's what church membership is about. And I know that Pastor Eric has been talking to you guys about that uh, you know, the, you know, in the past as well. Uh, but hopefully you're encouraged to, to, to follow after God 
and that as as you seek to pursue his his family of faith you're going to be so blessed um and i'm excited for you guys to, to, to keep doing that as well uh so with that let me pray for us and we'll we'll continue on uh lord jesus thank you thank you for making us your family Thank you that you love us, even though we're so different. Help us, God, to share that same love with one another. And, and I pray that as we do, we would be so blessed and that the community of Hong Kong around us would be blessed as well as they see this supernatural love at work through faith in the gospel. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.